Walker with Allen and Company. And today I have a very special guest, my friend, Jeff Carrillo. Am I allowed to say my friend? I think we're friends. We could do that. Okay, very cool. I like it. So tell the people who you are and what you do. Well, my name is Jeff Carrillo. I am from Lakeland, lived in Dallas for eight years. Uh, I have a unique business right now. We are what's called a commercial drone services company. What, so, What does that mean? We do all things drones, anywhere from helping people create creative content, aerial photos and videos to help you market a business or work with doing commercials or even film or video production work to doing inspection-related services from doing commercial building envelope inspections, utilizing drones, doing wildlife surveys, aerial mapping, solar field inspections, et cetera. There's a plethora of services and ideas you could create or come up with revolving around the use of drones. That's pretty cool. Let's get into that in a little bit. But first, how does a simple yet complex man get into drone work? How far back down the rabbit trail do you want to go? (laughs) (laughs) Wherever Um, you want to start, bud. So... Like I said before, I'm from Lakeland or Central Florida here. I moved to Dallas. Prior to my involvement in the drone business, I worked with you back in the day with Woodman of the World. Mm -hmm. Learned a lot. Yep. Uh, From there. Some about insurance, (laughs) some about other things. Yeah, mostly other things, but whatever. (laughs) Uh, So from there, though, uh, I moved to Dallas, and then I got into aviation insurance. This was back in 2014. This was the infancy stage of drones. This is when they were just starting to get introduced to the market. DJI came out with a couple of their Phantoms. If you've seen those white drones, the Phantom 2 and 3 were out at that time, and they were just coming out with the 4. Do you have to name drones really cool names like Phantom? I mean, why else would you buy a drone? <laughs> That's right. It's all in the, it's it's all all in the, the branding. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I insured a couple of companies back when I worked for that company that started using drones. My wheels started turning. I was like, oh, this is very interesting. You could do so much stuff with it. I was like, all right, I got to the relationship with the company I was working with just didn't seem like a long-term opportunity for me or whatever. And I just, I was like, I'm ready to start a business. I always wanted to, and this was my opportunity. So I convinced one of my buddies, I was like, Hey, we're going to start this business. Uh, we started it together. And at first we wanted to basically be kind of a, a middleman in a way a, a broker, because that was the industry, like how we were both working in our current industries at the time. So connecting really good quality drone operators that needed work with companies that could really utilize the service. We started with very low capital and he lost interest in the business model. So I had to buy him out. And in the first year, there became a pretty strong struggle bus. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like most businesses. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of my entryway into the industry. And then so that we started that in 2015 and it's so, yeah, I guess six or seven years ballpark of when we launched it. And it's been an interesting journey. I think we'll go into a lot of that throughout this podcast. Yeah, but. absolutely. So, so Torillo View is the company that you started. Yep. So what's the, give us a reason for the name. So Torillo View is a combination of me and my former business partner's last names. Okay. Since then, I have that brand, which is more on the creative side of the industry. So we do all our aerial photography and aerial aerial videography stuff throughout Central Florida and mostly North Texas. Mm -hmm. And then I've got a separate brand that's more focused on the inspection-related services, which is IR Aerials. IR stands for infrared. And we do most of our wildlife surveys, our solar field surveys, our inspections, our building envelopes, scans, et cetera, with that brand, if you will. Okay. So what's what are you what are you excited about right now as far as the products that y'all are producing? So I'm mostly excited about the inspection related stuff. I think it provides a substantial amount of value to businesses that a lot of people don't realize. Um, 
One of the biggest services that we offer is moisture mapping and commercial roof and wall structures, which can be very helpful in a plethora of different ways from helping you with insurance claims to helping you understand conditions based on numbers, not just speculation to help you determine repair, replacement, et cetera. So you're taking the infrared photography and you're able to map out where the moisture is at in roofs and walls? Yep. So if you dumb down the technology, you watch Superman, Please. they're like, oh, x-ray vision, you can see through buildings. Well, <laughs> not exactly. There are some applications where, you know, with thermal imaging, you can see through a light bulb to see the temperature of, you know, the electricity that's like flowing or whatever. And this application, simply what you're doing is you're reading surface temperature data. Within the roof, you've got, let's just say one roof structure, let's call it a TPO roof. A lot of people are familiar with those, like, you know, real bright white roofs. So you've got dry structure and then you've got wet structure. By nature, anything that's gonna have more water and it's gonna contain a lot more mass and anything that has more mass is gonna cool and heat at a much slower rate than the surrounding structure that's dry. So during the day, you've got your temperature change. Let's just say it's 60 degrees tonight and it'll be 80 degrees by the middle of the day. And then you've also got the sun that's causing solar load. So it's warming the entire structure up during the day. So everything gets hot. And then after sunset, everything's going to cool back off again, right? So theory that we work off of is that at night when we do our surveys after sunset, the temperatures of everything are cooling down and that water that wet location is going to cool down at a slower rate and give you a hotter temperature reading in the imagery so really the golden hour is whenever you're doing this yeah so basically we start after sunset and then depending on our weather conditions we'll work sometimes up to like 11 o'clock usually um, it all depends on the day the weather do we have a high dew point are we going to get dew is there low wind is there high wind how much solar load did we have is there cloud cover Just that's incredible factors yeah you have to take all of that into consideration yep so where are you getting most of that data from? Is it NOAA or is it just, you know, you know how to read the weather patterns? Now? Yeah, I, it's yeah, it's a lot of just looking at multiple different weather reports. So NOAA is a good one. I, there's a number of different aviation weather data reports that come out that are usually very accurate. Um, weather Channel. I look at a number of different things because they all kind of come up with different forecasts and stuff to be able to work off of. So does um, the architecture actually come into play too? I mean, the amount of time that it's going to take you to act to get the data? Very much so. So like a, a TPO roof is going to cool off at a much faster rate than, you know, the old gravel roofs or the modified bitumen roofs just because they're a lot thicker structures and they're a lot darker in nature. So naturally, white is going to be much more reflective than black, which is going to be a lot more absorptive to that solar load. So We've done scans or marketing packages for manufacturers that want to show off their new, brand new white roof in the middle of the day compared to those old modified bitumen or those built up roofs. And no joke, like during the middle of the summer um, in Texas, I think it was maybe in Austin, the comparison of that image and temperature data, the new one was maybe like 105 degrees on about a 100 degree day. And the old one was literally like 140 degrees. It was Holy just smokes. ridiculous. And a lot of those old roofs don't even have good insulation value. So imagine how inefficient your building probably is. So that's affecting efficiency. And I'm guessing that would also affect the lifespan. Just keeping that heat, capturing that heat would affect the lifespan of the actual roof. Yeah, the roof and, I mean, the stress that goes onto your mechanical equipment, your AC and everything. So there's a lot of factors that come into play. That's really interesting. Well, let's go ahead and take our first break and we'll be right back. 
So we're back with Jeff Carrillo. So tell us a little bit about the science that goes behind this infrared technology. I mean, I know we see it on TV, but give us a little bit more background on that. So the background of thermography started with the military. The military invented it and started utilizing it. And then I believe it was, this might be rough, but somewhere back in the 70s or 80s, it got introduced into the civilian market or the commercial market, kind of similarly to drones. Obviously, the military has been using drones forever and we've had recreational stuff, but now we've got companies that have come out and have you know, created these awesome drones that can do all kinds of industrial applications. So it's similar, just it came about in, back in the 70s and 80s that was, you know, accessible to us to be able to start using. So that you're using it on commercial buildings. Are you are, are you ever using it on any type of residential? So there are applications for residential. If uh, you're having a home inspect and you want to understand an energy loss, you want an energy loss survey so you can figure out, you know, hey, during the construction process, maybe there's some missing insulation here or your roof had a major leak and caused you know, damage in one of your walls, you can kind of map that out. There's a number of different ways that you can benefit from the residential side of things. It's just not in the same way. So like we can't do a roof inspection on your house to help map out moisture reliably in, in your roof just because of the nature of the construction. But there are ways thermography can definitely help you on the residential side. That's pretty cool. So there's not just thermography that you're using for inspections on your website it, it really goes into a lot of different things mm -hmm. uh, construction um basically construction auditing of timeline sure right so that people can see where construction projects are going also surveys so get into a little bit of that tell us a little bit what about what you do there so there, oh man, there's a lot of ways we could talk about this. So let's just kind of start with like a ground up construction project, seeing something through from beginning to end. There's a lot of people want to have just your typical construction progress photos on a monthly basis. Mostly that's for just sharing with the client. Hey, here's kind of an overview of where we're at. Um, some of it's for legal documentation as well, but you can go a lot deeper than that. So when you're at the ground stages, like even when you're considering purchasing a property, we can do a 3D model of the entire property. We can help you estimate earth moving costs before you even make the purchase to make sure everything is going to make sense with your budget and you're budgeting things properly. It's not going to be nailing it on the head, but it's going to give you a really good ballpark. It can also be correlated with taking that data and looping it in with your land surveyors uh, survey of the property, you can get a very accurate stitch orthomosaic image of the entire lay of the land that's accurate down to the centimeter grade. This, it looks like this entire market is really designed to help save costs that are unnecessary, that are just spent you know, through through a normal process can help trim some of those extra things. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's the benefit of like advancements in technology is if you can learn how to utilize it to your advantage, there are cost savings opportunities just throughout the entire process. Something that's newer and I haven't gotten involved in that's very interesting is if you're doing a multi-story build, you can use drones with LIDAR to accurately model the entire building and you can, you can do quality control checks. So let's just say the floor of floor one is supposed to be, call it, 12 foot, three inches off the ground, you can do a quality control check to make sure that's an accurate measurement. Or if you're off for any kind of reason due to, I don't know, settling or poor construction practice or something like that. So you can make sure you can do all these quality control checks throughout the process to make sure everything is as it's supposed to be uh, constructed from the design. So it's given an engineers a, a really an up-to-date figure on how things are going. Yeah, without even having to be on site. I mean, this can be completely remote. 
So you just deploy your drone team, they upload all the data the engineers can review, run measurements and calculations, they can get point clouds and 3D models and all kinds of different stuff. So Peter Thiel um, has a pretty good quote where machines are not meant to take the place of humans, right? That's that's kind of the concern about AI and the progression of machines. Mm -hmm. But realistically, they're supposed to make man more efficient. That's exactly it. So like with a lot of our residential roof inspections, you can use an artificial intelligence program to identify like hundreds of hail strikes if you got hit by a hailstorm, right? So the program is only as smart as what it's known or what it's done. So like your job is to then review what it's bringing up and like, oh, that's a leaf. All right, we'll just not count that one as one or this is whatever else. So you, it saves you time because you don't have to go highlight all 200 hail strikes on the roof. You just might have to remove 10 or 12 instead. So uh, was any of this ever being done through just normal piloted aircraft? Yeah, so I actually know a couple of companies up in like the Carolinas that still do thermography through aircraft. Um, obviously, you've got Google Earth that's all done through aircraft these days and satellites to be able to get you the type of resolution that we have today. It's just looking at Google Maps, which is amazing alone. So um, will this ever, I mean, will... Google Maps ever take the place of drones, or do you think that they're two completely separate areas? That's a good question. I would think they're somewhat separate areas. So satellites and aerial airplane imagery, airplane imagery has to give the ability to give you the same type of resolution as a drone does. Okay, They've got some pretty intense telescopic cameras with high resolution. Um, satellite imagery, I don't know if I can really speak to that very well. Okay. Um, so, I mean, but I would see that there would be definitely a cost savings in drone over aircraft, correct? Yeah, it depends on the situation. It depends on what you're doing. There's applications where a fixed wing or an aircraft is better. There's other applications where a helicopter is better. There's other applications where a drone is better. For example, I got requested to put in a bid to, oh my gosh, this was going to be a gigantic project. I passed up on it. They had a somewhat small budget to work with, but they wanted to do a wildlife survey in California of like, I don't know what it was, like 60,000 acres to survey the wild horse population out there. And I was studying it. There's like no infrastructure. There's nowhere to drive. A drone can only go a couple miles away before you have to change batteries. And that was just going to be a logistical nightmare. That is the perfect example of a job that is a much better fit for either an airplane or a helicopter. Probably an airplane just because of your hourly rate and the size of that property. Um, but there's a lot of other examples of where I could come up with ways that one or two or one or the other might be better fit for whatever the job is. Like with a lot of the building stuff we do, we do these, the facade or uh, building inspections and you really need a rotor wing drone to be able to inspect those because you're literally just floating like 15 feet away from the side of a building the entire time. So, so it's just, it's, so there are overlapping areas of the market, but there are very specific areas where both are helpful. Exactly. Yeah. That's really cool. So it, one of the things that always fascinates me about technology is um, the its ability to democratize something, right? To give power back to the people. Mm -hmm. It, it um, feels like that it's lowered the barrier of entry to aeronautics. Sure. Right. So it allows people to get involved in piloting things without necessarily learning how to fly right is yeah that, is that is is that right i mean no, i can't speak to it as an expert that's fair i mean as the technology has progressed i mean you can buy a dji drone affordably you can very easily get your faa license these days the faa has made that very easy to accomplish 
if you're out there doing commercial work of any kind, even for your own business and you're not getting paid for it, you need to get it. FAA is starting to crack down on that stuff. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's got all this obstacle avoidance. It's They really do a, a pretty decent job at making it almost dummy proof. I mean, of course, there's still ways you can find to crash it, but <laughs> right. it, it is very simple these days. So uh, is is the amount of hours that they have to spend behind the controls equivalent to to flying a fixed wing plane oh, or getting God, your pilot? No. no, nowhere near it. Yeah, I mean, you, <laughs> minimum. You have a to little have, bit. This is encouraging, but I got to be honest with you. Part of it's frightening. Yeah. Well, so with your pilot's license, I have my private pilot's license. I got it before I got into the drone stuff. You have to put in a f- minimum of forty hours in instruction and you know solo time, and then you have to go do a certified. You know, you have to fly with a FAA guy that gives you your certification to say, hey. He told me when I got my private pilot's license, he's like, all right, this is your license to learn. I'm like, oh, <laughs> well, I still got a lot to learn. <laughs> but with a drone, you don't have to do anything like that. It's it's all just a written test. They basically want you to know where you are and are not allowed to fly. And they want you to know, like, the rules that are in place and why. And, uh, I mean, that's kind of the short end of it. You don't have to take, like, a flight course with an instructor or anything at so, so um, my children are frequently purchased not age-appropriate gifts, meaning that people look at them in their small state and then purchase them something well, way more advanced than they should be operating. I.e. drones. Right, and <laughs> i.e. grandparents. That's the people that I'm talking about. And so they bought that. We have we have trashed two drones now. And I so, think I witnessed one of them. No, you were part of one because my kids kept asking me, can we fly this? And I said, we got to wait for Mr. Jeff to come here to teach us how to do this. <laughs> And I finally said, we're going to learn a lesson here. So I, I didn't purposefully lose the drone and technically didn't get lost because the neighbor <laughs> returned it from his tree six months later. But I, by that time, I had already thrown away the controls, so it was useless. Oh, man, I wonder if it worked still. Probably I, not. I, I don't know. It was in the tree. Uh, there, there's been two in the tree that, that we've never gotten back, yeah. So uh, that's, uh, needless to say, we absolutely needed uh, some sort of FF, FAA training. For sure. Well, maybe next time. I appreciate that. Yeah. There will not. We that now they always they they still bring it up, and put it back in my face like, "Hey, you lost a drone." I'm like, "Well, it was also because you told me that I that I had to fly this thing for you." <laughs> so let's go ahead and take our next break, and we'll be right back. All right, we're back with Jeff Carrillo from Tarillo View. Thank you, thanks, man, for teaching us about drones. Because I'm—I mean, listen, I hang around you a fair amount, and I'm learning a lot right now. Well, that's what I'm here for, man. Um, I like for people to have a good understanding of how this industry works, because we're—you know—there's a lot of negative perception. Like, you know, people see drones flying around. Oh, they're spying on me. I've had guys, you know, yeah. like there's a lot of stories I could tell. But you know, I—I have... I honestly walk around with the the knowledge that I'm so boring that nobody wants to spy on me. If they did, they, they're they not really interested. That is the reality, and I wish a lot more people knew it. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, so let's go back, because I kind of got you off uh, topic there, but give us a little bit more about the back end of the construction process and how you're assisting with that. So let's, we can, there's a lot, again, we can talk about, we'll focus maybe kind of on the roofing side of things, because yeah. that's a lot more of my expertise. Perfect. So even with like a new build, there's a lot that goes into it. Like we just did an inspection for a newly constructed project in Austin back around Christmas time. And keep in mind, brand new roof. We found like 36% moisture content in that roof. Why is that? Brand new, it was just, they 
general contractor was having a lot of issues with uh, the the roofer that was involved. There was a lot of security, as in like they had to prove that everyone was legal, mm-hmm. you know, United States citizens and stuff. And they ended up having a terrible workforce that really didn't know what they were doing. They were failing welds in the TPO roof. It wasn't really managed well with respect to what the weather was going to look like the next day. And it was a big mess. So how how much moisture should a roof contain? I mean, I'm legitimately asking this question right now. I don't know. The the less, the better. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean... With a new roof, obviously your ideal is to have 0% wet roof. But how often do you actually see that? Uh, it's pretty rare. I mean, most of the roofs that we're involved in are on the latter side of life. They've been beaten on for 10, 15, 20 years, and they're going to have issues. At that point, what we're trying to do is we're trying to help you identify how many, how much moisture damage exists, why it got there, and then help you determine what you should do with it next so do you help them from that point i mean or are you just giving them hey your roof is soaking wet right now we do yeah we we can help companies see you through the whole process of like understanding what's going on and helping you determine what you should do next to uh helping you do design work to uh picking a preferred contractor that's going to do it well and then seeing the whole process through with the quality control so we can be on site on a weekly basis to make sure hey everything's being installed right and working with the manufacturer on that stuff. So along that same line, what are the blind spots that you're seeing from people who own commercial properties, right? So either A, they're leasing them out, or B, they're using them for their own personal business. What are the blind spots that they're not seeing? So with respect to what, like the condition of the roof? Yeah, just, or just... Uh, just upkeep on their building because that is, that's a money-making venture, right? Yeah, you so... keep your building fresh. But again, just kind of keeping things on the roof subject without getting... Into too much stuff. The when you put a new roof on, it comes with a warranty. As part of that warranty, you're required to maintain and you know upkeep the quality of the structure. Otherwise, then you'll you'll create voids and that the the manufacturer come back and say, oh, you didn't do this and this. We're going to void your warranty. Your your claim is not legitimate or whatever. So a lot of people don't really know or realize that because their contractor that installed it doesn't relay that information. So. If you don't have a problem, then you don't think about your roof, right? I mean, yeah. think about it on your house. You don't think about your roof at all until it starts leaking, and then you're mad, right? right. Oh, this guy put my roof on two years ago. It shouldn't be leaking. Well, there's a lot of stuff you can do to maintain that roof and make sure it's clean and everything is up to par. And then when you find a small leak, you can remedy it before it becomes a big problem. Because if you catch those leaks while it's early, a lot of times there's a uh, either a manufacturer's uh, product warranty or a, a craftsmanship or a workmanship warranty that can solve that problem for you for free. But if you don't know that leak is happening and you find out later, five years later, and that, you know, 10 square foot leak is now a hundred square foot leak. Well, you're probably going to be out of your workmanship warranty and it's not going to be covered anymore. And it's on your expense because you weren't doing your annual ongoing inspections. So it really is an ounce of prevention. Yeah. I mean, the cost savings can be ample, but what's difficult about it in the perspective or in the mindset of a lot of commercial property owners is everything's very budget conscious and they don't want to spend money unless they have to. But that cost savings isn't really realized until you show them like examples of, hey, like this is what happened when this person didn't do this when they needed to. You can show them like what it costs now and you could maybe forecast what it would have cost them 
to have waited or neglected the subject. So does Terrell, of you have an annual product where you would go out and inspect roofs? We do. So we offer an annual building envelope inspection package to where we're looking at your facade or your walls, your window seals, your roof structure with both thermal and visible imaging, as well as getting on the roof physically to do a visual inspection and validate anything that we suspect. Because just because we see a thermal anomaly doesn't mean that it's actually wet. We've got to understand all that stuff and try to figure out why it is wet if it is wet. Mm -hmm. So there's a number of benefits from the, the manufacturer warranties that we just talked about to insurance claims. I mean, there's a lot of different companies that I talked to even <clears throat> last year when like Texas had the big freeze that we did inspections for that the insurance companies, sometimes they, they fight your case. I mean, I understand why, because a lot of times yeah, not there's to... fraudulent claims that come in and they want to make sure it's legitimate. But then there's other times where it's kind of a belligerent denial of the claim. That can be very, very, very costly for a property owner. So let's say you own like, you know, million dollar office building, you get hit by a storm, it's catastrophic. And then the insurance company says, oh, we're going to deny your claim. Well, there goes your chance to very quickly remedy your problems and get your building back up and operational. So if you can be involved or if you can have somebody out to help you with an annual inspection program that collects a historical data log of the condition of the structure and shows that you're going through your due diligence to maintain that structure, say, hey, we found this on this date and we came back out and inspected it after the, re the repair was made and show that, then you've got a log that says, hey, this property was in this condition prior to this date of a weather event. So then the storm hits and then you have another inspection immediately after, you can then say, hey, this is the condition after, this is the condition before, here is the estimate of damage, et cetera, give them the entire package to help you expedite the insurance claims process. Yeah, I think what you're talking about is really just the good hard work of stewardship. Yeah, insurance companies wanna work with people that care about their property. Mm. They don't wanna work with the people that want to just, oh, well, you know, this roof's 10 years old, let's just wait till a storm and then see if we can get an insurance claim. You know what I mean? Yeah. I have to say, so you know how slow motion videos make things cooler? Yes. Right? You're making insurance claims and insurance protection and moisture damage cooler <laughs> through drone footage. I did not know it could be cool at all. <laughs> That's right. So so let me ask you this. I just want to kind of switch gears a little bit on you as far as the entrepreneurial mindset. Because you started this business, you've gone through the lumps to make it grow. What's it like being starting a business in more of a frontier market? Oh, man. It's a challenge. So I... I just did a project for a client last week who is a retired successful business owner. And he told me, he's like, he talks to a lot of people that are, want to start businesses. And his comment was, you know, sometimes you just got to like literally call it a trust fall. Just make the fall. You might have a net quote unquote planned, but it might be another net that catches you. If you just work hard and keep your head up and you've got drive and push, something will catch you. So I started it. I would say, I don't know. Failure and success is kind of relative to whoever you're talking to, <laughs> but I we I fell apart. I ran out of money in the first year. I had to get a job doing commercial property management, which is where I learned a lot about the value of all this inspection-related stuff on the commercial property side of things. Saved up money and then relaunched with a new vision. And then ever since then, I've been growing. But even since then, which was about four years ago, I mean, the industry is just continually changing and evolving. I went into the industry thinking a lot more companies would be interested in contracting out their services 
for drone related work. But the reality now is I'm seeing a lot more companies having interest in doing their own drone related work, because like we just talked about, reality is the barrier of entry is very low. The cost of drones is low. FAA regulations have made it much easier for people to be able to attain legally. Um, and yeah, so that's just continual shifts. And I don't know, you just have to continually pivot or change your model or change your plan to be able to stay alive and stay afloat. And you've got to be able to forecast that or stay ahead of it before it bites you. It really feels like the industry is still learning on who it is. Yeah. It's I mean, dynamic. I think it's if you look at it like, life phase it's kind of in it's like teenage years it's still learning itself it's still evolving so how do you keep up with the technology as it adapts i mean every year they're coming out with new drones that are slightly a little bit better a little bit faster a little bit longer flight times a little bit better resolution um i mean a lot of it is just kind of keeping up with what is the equipment that you have and uh what is the new stuff that's out and does an upgrade is it just an upgrade justified or can it actually benefit you for the cost or should you wait another year for whatever's coming out next um but yeah there's a lot of innovation out there and there's a lot of people coming up with new ideas that i think are going to slowly really continue to change and evolutionize this industry so what do you think as an entrepreneur keeps your head up in all of this oh man i love being able to make or break my own success um, yeah. <laughs> it's hard. You ask me some days you can talk to my wife. I'll, <laughs> I beat myself up bad. Like, sure. There's, yeah, it, it's, it's not easy, but I don't know. I really like being able to just try to figure out and blaze a new trail. And, um, I think you've, you picked a pretty uh, trail that's been not blazed before. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's very new. There's not a lot of people in it and there's not a lot of people in it doing it well. Um, I guess that you could look at that by two different ways. There's not a lot of eyes on your business or there's uh, in a negative sense, like nobody knows about me. So I'm lost. Or there's a lot of blue water territory. Yeah. A lot of opportunity. There's a there. lot of opportunity. And I think what I've learned over the last couple of years, like at first I'm a fisherman, I throw like a giant cast net and I would just take in any job, no matter what kind of job it was. And now I'm kind of trying to narrow down to like a few things to be really good at than being okay at a lot of different things. But that being said, this last year was really slow for roofs because there's no materials. Sure. So at the same time, it's good to be somewhat diversified. You don't want to have all your eggs in one basket. So I've chosen to try to be good at a few different things and focus on those. That's really cool, man. Let's go ahead and take our last break and we'll be right back. And we're back with Jeff Carrillo. So keeping on with the entrepreneurial theme, um, what is something that you would give some entrepreneurs that are looking at getting into frontier businesses? What, what, would, what type of advice would, would you give them of um, you know, what you wish you would have known, right? And then what you found invaluable. So something that would be concrete and something that you wish you would have known. So when, we, when I started originally with the business partner, I tried to do market research, but there wasn't much market research to be had because everything was so new. And we went in with unrealistic expectations. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good. Yeah. Very scary in a way when you're not far off from trying to get married and you quit your job to start a business that's running out of money pretty that quickly. Sounds like a really solid pitch to your father-in-law. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, he bought it still. <laughs> Um, I don't know. Do your best to do your market research, run forecast, realistic numbers, understand how much capital you really need to float yourself for 
sometimes probably longer than you think. How are you going to raise that money? Can you self-fund or do you need investors? Um, there's a lot that goes into business planning and, and modeling and forecasting that, again, is just an entirety whole other podcast. Surround yourself by good people who can speak into your life and say, hey, this is a terrible idea. You probably shouldn't do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's always seemed helpful. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, I can't decide sometimes if I regret starting a business with a business partner, but maybe I've learned to not do it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So, I mean, there's people who make business partnerships work great. I think if you can structure yourself to where you're going in with specific jobs and tasks, like you're over, I don't know, managing the drone guys and accounting and your sales and whatever, and you can divide those and do them well, then that's different. We didn't really go in with that. I'm not like naturally the most structured and organized person ever. So. <laughs> I've heard uh, partnerships say, um, you know, it only works if one plus one equals three. Yeah. <laughs> right. If one plus one equals two, it's not exponential. But mm -hmm. if one plus one equals three and it's exponential, then it will work. Yeah. And then, you know, the other thing, too, is like I said before, if if you're driven, if you have a heart to like pursue entrepreneurship, if you go in with one net, you might land on another net. Some, something will catch you. you. Well, maybe not everybody, but, you know, you'll you'll be OK. You'll figure it out. You'll find something to be able to make money and it'll lead you in the path that you're supposed to go. I mean, every everything in my background, I had an interest in engineering, but I didn't do that in school. I have an insurance background and then I have a commercial property management background. All of those things led me to where I am today, which is a blend of all of my past experiences. Yeah, it's, a, it's really interesting to look back in someone's um, lifetime and see how they're chaining their moves together, mm -hmm. right? How one thing completely unrelated taught them how to do something else. 100%. It's yeah. really cool. So how has being a business owner changed you as a person? Oh, man. Um, teaches you to trust in God. Um, definitely teaches you to, to have patience. You've got to see like the long term and not get stuck in the short term. I get stuck in the short term a lot. I have a lot of days where I get very frustrated by the end of the day. And then something else will happen the next day. I'm like all happy again, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think uh, there's a lot of opportunity out there and you just got to keep your head up and you just got to push your way through the tough times and just keep your vision in mind and just keep going after it. I mean, just because, you know, we learned back in the Woodman days, just because somebody says no doesn't mean it's a no forever. It's a no right now. Yeah. And don't let it beat you down. Like you get a no on a phone call. You've got 50 other phone calls you need to make. Keep working at it. You'll get a yes. That's pretty cool. So where do you see the drone business? I mean, can you give us one or two different areas, not just the business, but um, the technology? Where do you see the technology moving towards or going? I think the application of drones will continually find roots in different industries. Land surveyors have taken drones to be able to add high resolution aerial maps as opposed to using Google satellite imagery as their background data. Um, that's become an industry standard. Solar companies have started utilizing drones for doing inspections before they take the site delivery after construction is completed to make sure everything's done and then continually perform ongoing annual inspections you know, to understand how much damage cells or, or strings they have compared to, you know, running numbers to determine when they need to replace those based on revenue loss. Um, in the building envelope industry, a lot of engineers and other consultants and professionals in the industry have taken a little bit slower 
uh, interest in drones because they're a little slower to adapt to new ideas and technology, but they're very quickly now realizing the value that it brings. I mean, you can substantially reduce your liability. If you're working on a 20-story building, you can very quickly, efficiently, and safely go study and understand you know, 20 stories up looking at a leaking window as opposed to sending a guy on a lift or you know, using scaffolding or scaffolding or, or whatever to hang off the side of the building to inspect that same thing. Yeah, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, I mean, the idea though is you can collect preliminary data and then send them up there with a focus and you know a set of uh, tasks to be able to do while he's up there, rather than kind of going blind and having to look at everything. It's just a big cost savings, time savings, and liability reduction. I don't, um, and also, I don't think you can have a wedding without a drone. Oh, that's <laughs> stupid. <laughs> I have been asked to do weddings, and I say no. I, it's the last thing I would want buzzing in the background of my own wedding. <laughs> With a drone? But a lot of people like it, so all hey. the power to them. <laughs> hey, listen, it gives you some pretty cool uh, – like I said, you know, slow-mo makes you look cooler. That's true. But drones. Drones yeah. make you look cooler. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. So what are you reading right now, or what's kind of speaking to your life through, as far as books or podcasts? I love The How of Business. That's one of my favorite podcasts right now I'm listening to. Um None of it's necessarily industry related, but mm. they talk a lot about different stories of other entrepreneurs uh, that are out just whether it's something new, they're paving a new trail like I am or something that's very traditional. I mean, you get all kinds of ideas on how you can systemize and make things better, especially dealing with like how th remote things are lately. Um, that's one thing that's been awesome. Um, if you're interested in learning more about the drone-related podcast, the Drone to 1K uh, podcast is very interesting. I've been on that podcast with David Young before. Um, there's a lot of other business owners that he brings on, and they talk about their story and where they came from and how they got into it and what they're doing. Um, that's an interesting one if you're specifically interested in drone-related stuff as well. Cool. So where are you most encouraged in the world around you or in your own life right now? Um, Business-wise, personal-wise, or all of the above? All of the above, wherever you want to go. So from a business perspective, it's encouraging to see, you know, the industry that I've chosen to pursue taking root and growing. Uh, there's a lot of interest. It's still a buzzword. I feel like it's been a buzzword for like seven years. I mean, I just put drone in one of my emails, drone thermal, whatever, and people like, I get good click rates just by that, you know? Sure. People are very interested in it. It's great to see um, these industries that I work in uh, utilizing it because there is a lot of there's a lot of benefits to utilizing whether they're doing it through me or doing it themselves. I'm just happy to see it grow. Um, a lot of people that get into this industry are very very passionate. Um, a lot of people approach me kind of timid to like ask me questions because they're afraid like oh like uh, they'll think they'll think that my thought is oh this guy's stepping on my game I'm not going to tell him how to do stuff. But I try to be open and informative, and if people come to me with questions, I'll answer them and you know talk to them about strategies and what i see in the industry and i like the idea of being able to help other people pursue their passions and dreams whether it's just being a business owner or pursuing drone stuff specifically and sometimes i can help them by giving them jobs and other times i can help them with advice um, so that's fun and usually pretty encouraging um, from a personal perspective like with my goals and business i've always striving for more and better and i'm pretty hard on myself um i'm not where i want to be but i don't think i ever will be yeah so i just got to keep trucking on and keeping friends like you around there you go so <laughs> how can people get a hold of you how can they reach out use your services so right now 
We've got Tarillo View, which is spelled T-A-R-I-L-L-O-V-U-E. So I spelled it really weird. Oh, that's fancy. Yeah, it's super fancy. So TarilloView.com. You can find me on uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. You can email me at Jeff at TarilloView.com. And then the second brand, so remember, that's the creative stuff. And then the inspection stuff is IR Aerials. So IRAerials.com or Jeff at IRAerials.com. And then same thing, Instagram, social media platforms, uh, what's Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. So many of them. Yeah, gotta, there's gotta too many. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate you being on the show, taking your time uh, for us. And uh, thank you for all you're doing for our community. Uh, again, this is Holland Henderson, financial advisor with Allen & Company. Please go to our website at alleninvestments.com. You'll find uh, some wonderful blogs, some wonderful podcasts uh, that you can listen to, some great advisors on there that can help you out with whatever you need. Thanks again and have a wonderful day. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult with an appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Guests appearing on the show and their respective companies are not affiliated with LPL Financial and Allen & Company. Investment advisory services offered through Allen & Company of Florida, LLC, Allen & Co., and its affiliate LPL Financial, LLC, LPL, Registered Investment Advisors. Securities offered through LPL, member FINRA, SIPC.